Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Sacred Space Podcast. My name is Gina Stockton, and I am so excited to share just some fun things that have been happening. We have not been doing this very long. It's been maybe a couple of months, and we've had well over 1,300 downloads of the podcast, people from uh, over, I think, 40 states, about 12 countries have all downloaded and are listening, and it's so fun to see what God's doing. So I just want to thank you. Now, I really haven't done any marketing, and yet um, it's really cool to see. So thank you so much for subscribing, for downloading, and I just want to encourage you that you are the best marketing. So if you are encouraged and feel like this is something that other people could benefit from, would you just let people know, post it on your stories, put it on Facebook and share with your friends, just um, spread the word because this is a ministry. This is for people to connect with Jesus in a different way, a deeper way to uh, hear stories that they can relate to that make them uh, not feel alone and maybe give them hope in whatever situation they might find themselves. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I also want to share a couple of quick things. The Sacred Space podcast is supported by Stockton Ministries, which is a nonprofit 501c3. And we now officially have a donate button on our website. Yay! So if you want to support this podcast and the other projects and resources that are coming out of Stockton Ministries, you can go to my website, genastockton.com or in the sacredspace.com. And in the top right hand corner, there is a donate button. And the link is also in our episode notes. So that would be amazing. Speaking of projects, we received a grant not that long ago for the Dwell Project. The Dwell Project, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you've probably stumbled on our Dwell episodes. They are intended as scripture meditation, guided scripture meditation, and they are just a time to sit and make space to breathe and really let the word of God sink in deep, to really have a moment uh, to hear God's voice and to allow the Holy Spirit to not just read past a scripture, but to let it come in and, and really take root in our hearts and our minds. And we received a small grant to help us to produce an EP of dwells, So we will be recording that. We're entering into pre-production in the next couple of weeks, and that will be recording. And some of those dwells will be episodes on the Sacred Space podcast, and some of them will be available as an EP in the iTunes store. So we are so excited. Can't wait. And we will keep you posted. Well, today's guests are Brian and Linda Seitz. Brian and Linda are dear, dear friends. They have incredible ministry to marriages. They've been married 30 years, I believe. They were in an unequally yoked marriage for seven of those years. Brian is a retired police captain. Linda is a life coach. And together they have done lay counseling. They have developed and taught a class for marriages in crisis called Rebuild Your Marriage. They are amazing people who God has used tremendously to really save dozens of marriages through their ministry, through who they are, through their classes, through their mentorship. And they have a really unique perspective on marriage and on relationship. And um, it was a really fun, interesting conversation. I know I learned a lot of things and I really hope that you will be encouraged, that you uh, will maybe learn how to stand, if you're in an unequally yoked marriage, how to stand in that place differently, how to have that sacred space with Jesus, but still love your spouse well. And, um, or if you know someone who is, you just know how to love them and be a friend and how to support them in that journey and be patient as Jesus pursues them. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Sacred Space. Thanks for being here. We're so happy to be here. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Thanks mm-hmm. for having us. Yeah. So, Brian and Linda, I would love to start with your testimony, your story. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you come to Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, It it's interesting. We, we moved into this brand new neighborhood in South Orange County, and um, 
although we were married in the Catholic Church, um, fast forward how many years, like seven years after that, we moved into this new neighborhood and um, didn't really know anyone in our community. And um, but, you know, it was a it was a street full of dirt you know, front yards and freshly poured driveways. And these, this woman and two little girls came walking down the street and they were the same ages as our girls at the time. And I thought, wow, I I need to get to know that person. But I didn't really know why, you know, and what was going to become of it. She, very shortly after meeting us and, you know, doing play dates and sidewalk chalk and popsicles, um, she started asking me about God and what I thought about God and what I thought about Father God and what I thought about church. And, you know, I was raised in a church where it wasn't, it wasn't so much fun to go. So I, when she started saying, it's fun to go to church, (laughs) I thought she's a little loopy. (laughs) I I don't know what she's talking about because I, I just have never had that experience before. And she said, come with me, come with me. I want, I want you to come with me. Your girls would have fun. Um, Let's go. And, and so I started going, and, you know, at the time, Brian was a young police officer, so rarely would he have Sundays off. Yeah. So it wasn't unnatural for me to go to church or anywhere without him and take the kids because that's just kind of what we did. We had our own life going on. And so um, I would say it was maybe three months later, it was Easter of 93 and, uh, 1993, and... It was at Saddleback Church, and Pastor Rick that day um, talked about freedom and the most beautiful message on on freedom. And, um, you know, I hadn't realized how unfree I felt hmm. <laughs> until I, I heard that message and I was able to really grasp that truth and understand that God was not just this big guy upstairs kind of shaking his finger at you. Yeah. Um, but the hat he had a son that he gave and that wants to have a friendship and a, and a wholesome life with you. And that there's so much more. And so I grabbed every verse that was being handed to me and I, I would go home and I would teach myself how to look it up in the Bible because <laughs> I did not know how to read the Bible. And so I taught myself and then that passion just kind of, I, I kind of pushed that new passion into my kids, but Brian was, wasn't really ready yet. Yeah, I, I would say in my mind at least, so my mind and reality don't always mesh, <laughs> but in my mind, I grew up going to church. Um, we went, as a family, we went to a small church in Los Angeles, and I went to, they had a, their own school, I went to that school, and so therefore just by uh, that existence and that participation, uh, I therefore was a believer and knew everything there was to know. <clears throat> so when I, re- I think I remember when Linda first said she was going to church, uh, I was fine with that. That didn't bother me at all. It's not that I was a, a God hater or an atheist or yeah. even agnostic. I, I believe that there was a higher, pow- higher power. I had no problem with the concept and yeah. belief in Jesus. But I only had one worldview on what that is. Hmm. And so the first time I went to that experience with Linda, I was pretty sure my wife had joined a cult. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, it was, it in, was, a, in, it a was in a tent. At the time. <laughs> and I thought, what in the world have I done by not being more of a part of what? Because now Linda. You could have protected her from yeah, this. Yeah, Linda <laughs> yeah. and the girls. I don't think mm-hmm. Brett was Brett wasn't barely a thing yet. yet if yeah, he was, no, yeah. He wasn't, yeah. What have What have I allowed Linda and the girls? And and so it it just took a while for me to understand. And I and so I started going with her to to understand it. And then it became less cultish and just more. Uh, I I don't know that I have a good adjective for it, but it just was a little sticky sweet for me. Hmm. It it I missed their tradition. I remember going at a Christmas service, I mm-hmm. think, and commenting when they finally played, you know, pick pick the oldest hymn you can think of, and it they used to have the little words under there, you know, circa 1597, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. now that's a Christmas song. Right. Um, these ones written in, you know, 1992, that's not a Christmas song, yeah. that's pop. Yeah. Um, and so it was just a whole mindset, and, and that was my mindset for a long time until I got to the point where 
I really began to not like it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand the relational aspect of uh, Christianity uh, in a significant way. I just understood that this is a big book. Try to read it when you can. Uh, this is, you know, morality and philosophy. Cling to that and you're good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I then also began to resent Linda a mm-hmm. little bit. Because I didn't think there was any reasoning with her. Mm. And it felt like she was uh, almost cheating on me. Hmm. Not with a person, but with, with an entity. Mm-hmm. Because when we, our time together was so rare and valuable, especially you know, prior to that when we, when we were brand new parents, we, we were tag team parents hmm. just trying to keep the kids going and pay yeah. the bills. So yeah. we never even got to visit with each other. And we'd finally got a life where now we had a little time to be together. And she was often, often leaving me to go enjoy this other life that hmm. I didn't want to be a part of. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that's probably really important for people to hear, especially those that may be in a unequally yoked marriage, mm-hmm. whether it's the husband or the wife. Mm-hmm. And I think so often... In the church, we think of the Christian who's unequally yoked and how hard that is for them, but we rarely think of the impact it is on the other side of that, you know? And so there's this burden of, oh, we just need to pray for them, but not really Mm -hmm. understanding. I think that's really significant for you to be able to articulate what that what that felt like, you know? Yeah, I don't feel like I've ever, I mean, I've never been a perfect husband, right? I've uh, I've never, never going to be that. but I don't think I was a bad one. Even in some of those times, I wasn't. Yeah. <clears throat> I wasn't doing a lot of the things like in, in when Linda and I counsel people, we get to hear a lot of really bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it was weird. I felt, you know, very much worldly in that. Well, I'm a nice person. Yeah. And so since I'm a nice person and I'm not cheating on my wife and I'm I'm pretty respectful of her, I have some downtime when I mess up. Um, that that she should be. And it wasn't an honor me thing. It was. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, this is what we're gonna do because we're a couple, right? Yeah. And it just it just wasn't wasn't performing to that level. Our marriage wasn't. And I th- I think I kind of shocked him because for we started dating when I was fifteen and he was seventeen, so we really? knew I each didn't other. Know that. Yeah, wow. We've mm-hmm. we'd known each other for a long, long time, and I'm like the classic introvert. So I usually am pretty quiet about decisions. I usually. Um, had no problem having letting him make the final decision on things and and this and that. So when I said, no, I'm actually a Christian, I'm following Jesus, I'm like, this Bible thing, it's real. <laughs> and the Christian music, it's not going to stop in our home. And the kids are going to be in the choir. And like, this is what it, I think I shocked him because I'd never been quite firm like that on yeah. anything. Like, I never really needed to be firm on anything. But, you know, there was something about it that I was just like, nope, I'm, I can't go back. And, and I do admit, like, it was, it was such a tough time that for a lot of the time I didn't really want to be at home because I didn't want to enter into those conversations. And I didn't want him to see me reading the Bible because I didn't want any sarcasm. And I didn't, I, I joined every Bible study, every group every went to every yeah kids choir practice and and everything and so I did not make church look very good to him Hmm. and yeah you know but at that time it was like that's all I knew it was almost like a coping it was my coping mechanism well you're balanced there's a couple of things I think you're dealing with like you there's a hunger in you Mm mm-hmm to you're, you're starting to develop this like hunger for the word and hunger for this new relationship mm-hmm. and then like you said there's the the tension that you're trying to avoid too yeah oh you know definitely. um but then you're still present and want to be you know so that you're wrestling with all those things how to be the wife how to be a christian how mm-hmm. to be a mom how to you know all of those things and meanwhile you're over here Kind of going, okay. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I was working my tail off because mm-hmm. I was. Mm-hmm. And the little bit of time we had together, I valued tremendously. And suddenly she's always gone. Mm-hmm. And that was frustrating for me. Yeah. And it's funny, I, I, 
I loved that the kids were in the church choir. I loved Little Lambs. I was proud. Like, they would have this show mm-hmm. at Knott's Berry Farm. And I can remember my, you know, just sort of filling up with pride. Those are my baby girls up there singing. Look how cute they are. Um, but I didn't understand this Bible study thing. Yeah. I didn't understand. Uh, I just, and it, I, I don't know that I saw you change for the bad. It wasn't that. It was just, mm-hmm. it just, I didn't understand. Uncomfortable. And, and, and there was nobody there. We, we weren't equipped in our marriage at that time to sit down and have that intellectual conversation to satisfy me. It doesn't mean you needed yeah. to do that. That just right. means that's what my mind right. needed. Right. Yeah. And there was really nobody in my sphere of influence that could help me understand that. Mm. I had I had people at work that were detractors. I had other people in my life that were detractors. And then a few people uh, at work started to pop up that also were Christians. And I began to talk to them and try to just sort of figure that out because for whatever reason, it was easier for me to ask them questions and hear their hard answers than it was to go to my wife. Wow. And maybe That's that was my pride. I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really don't have an answer for that. But then the other phenomenon, you know, there was a, a guy in particular, Steve, who we would, we were graveyard together. So I, I was up all night with Steve in my car and then I'd sleep all day and I'd see Linda and the kids for two hours and then I'd go back to work. And Steve was a strong Christian. And when you're in a car with somebody for 10, 12 hours a night, it's amazing the things you'll talk about. Yeah. Things that I, I probably don't even share with my wife, not because I don't want to, but when you're with your wife, there's the comfortable silence sometimes. And yeah. with, when you're with a new guy, there's no comfortable silence. Yeah. Somebody's always filling in the, the, the noise. Hmm. And so Steve really got me thinking. And I was, I remember being frustrated with Steve, mm-hmm. but not with you. Cause Steve one time said, you know, Brian, you are a nice guy and you do have good Christian morals, but you're not a Christian. Mm-hmm. So morals do not a Christian make. Although Jesus is certainly glad that you you're using his morals, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and Steve Steve probably said it much nicer than that. But I remember we were at the gas pumps and I and I thought you, I'm gonna punch you in the nose. You know, it's one of those things. I like Steve. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! And yeah, then um, well, and early on, I kind of made it worse because I thought, well, if I find a small group that was made up of police officers, then that will be the answer. Hmm. Then we can go to a Bible study that has police officers in it, and then he would be comfortable. Right. And then he would become a Christian, you know, because yeah. I thought at that point it was all on me. Right. I was responsible for surrounding him with all of this, you know, good stuff. And that that small group went sideways real quick within an hour, <laughs> Yeah, that blew up bad. That was like that cartoon cigar that poof, there's so black funny. all over your face. So what's interesting about that is you're feeling, just as a new Christian and not even understanding, you're feeling all this pressure that you need to somehow manipulate the situation to convince Brian Absolutely. that he needs to become a Christian. Meanwhile... God's already taking care of it. He's mm-hmm. sitting him and Steve with Steve, mm-hmm. right, <laughs> every night for twelve hours, right. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a lesson we all have to learn, not just about you know, an unequally yoked marriage. Is sure. when when can we get to that place of actually trusting that God is God, right, and we aren't, and with the same kind of intentional, intimate, relentless pursuit of me, of you, of you. He's going to mm-hmm. do the same thing for those that we love, right? Right. It's, um, but somehow we ne- it takes a while for us to <laughs> understand. So what changed? Yeah. Like when, yeah, when did things shift. finally shift? I feel like um, it was during MOPS. Um, we had... Which is mothers of preschoolers. Mothers of preschoolers at Saddleback Church. We had um, a beautiful group of like 100 women. Um, They invited in Titus women into their group that were obviously women who were much further ahead in parenting and marriage than we were. And so they would walk around the tables and ask for prayer requests and how can I help you or maybe kind of seek out one, one woman per week that was really having a difficult time. And she helped me through a lot of things, a lot of parenting things, a lot of um, medical things that that I was questioning. But then um, finally, when I asked her about 
how do you run a marriage when one of you is a Christian and one of you isn't? And um, I'll never forget, she asked me what my schedule looked like. And I told her all of the things I was doing, mops and Bible studies, and then I was babysitting for Bible studies, and then I was serving in the nursery on the weekend, and then I would go to a service on the weekend. And and she said, I think that you're making church look really bad to your husband. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, you know, God would never tell you not to grow in him, but he might tell you to not get so far ahead that if your husband did come to Christ, that he would feel like he couldn't catch up. Wow. And, you know, I, I am a visual learner. So when I had that picture in my head of me being so far ahead, which I wasn't, but I was going in that direction. Yeah. I was ready to leave him behind <laughs> Yeah, for the pursuit of Christ because, you know, you're passionate and you you want to, to move forward like that. But I think that, you know, God places really wise people in your life at the perfect time. Yeah. And she stopped me in my tracks. And mm, I it's good. then started recognizing um, where I needed a pullback and that I could study the Bible really anytime I wanted to. I could listen to K-Wave, which I did a lot, but I didn't always have to be gone. And right. so one weekend... You asked me not to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To church. Yeah. No, I was mm-hmm. frustrated. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to have a family day. And mm-hmm. you kept taking, you know, what I perceived to be the family away. And so I just said, I, I need you to make a choice. And I need you to choose me today. Mm-hmm. And you said, okay. And I was surprised. Hmm. And I was thankful. Yeah. There were so many things going on. And, and probably a lot of it I wasn't aware of. But it, somewhere in there... There was another person to talking to me, not about, and I don't, and this isn't to say Steve was doing this. Steve was just talking to talk, mm-hmm. but I began to feel like a project. Mm. And then somebody else came into my life, Mitch, and I wasn't a project to Mitch. I was a friend hmm. and he would answer my questions intellectually in a way that complimented Steve's. Yeah. I want to make it clear that I'm not down on Steve in any way. Steve was fantastic. But Mitch Mitch would satiate another thirst that I had, and that began to make it okay for me to pursue this. And then we had that mm. little weekend where you were going to leave me yet again, and I said, no, don't. I, I need you here, and you did that. And I felt, I felt honored, especially as I look back on it. I, I felt honored. And then I also began to have my own curiosities and trying to figure out how to deal with those. And so, yeah, that first Bible study that you brought me to was an absolute disaster. <laughs> but then <clears throat> probably six months to a year mm-hmm. after that, we went to another one, and that was of my choosing. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that feels a little arrogant to say it like that, but it no, was it was something that gave me comfort rather than having me feel ambushed. Yeah, And I really didn't mind discussing who I thought Jesus was and learning from other people and having them point me to certain directions. I minded not being a part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so as a husband whose wife was doing all those activities, I felt like I wasn't part of the conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So suddenly we found a small group of friends that we began to meet with and they let me kind of be a jerk Mm. I hope I wasn't a jerk, but they let me ask kind of jerkish questions and answered them kindly in love, mm-hmm. pointed references. Sometimes they said, gosh, Brian, how is, is that really a question that has an answer? You know, it was, yeah. it was just sort <laughs> yeah. of people that were ahead of me in a lot of areas, and wisdom was certainly a part of that. Mm-hmm. And their knowledge of all things Bible and Jesus were significant. Yeah. Well, what a beautiful picture, too, I think. I mean, isn't that what we we should be, you know, to be someone who would accept you and love you exactly where you're at? Right. Right? Yep. So there's something really fascinating just listening to your story that I've never really thought of at all (laughs) until just now. But marriage was God's idea. You know, Adam and Eve, it's not good that man should be alone to a man would leave his mother and father and cling to cleave to his wife, right? And and it's it's this picture of partnership and this joining. 
And you were equally yoked outside of the Lord until you became a Christian. And suddenly Mm -hmm. there's this tension in this, this, this thing you're having to kind of fight against. And there's something really powerful about the wisdom of your friend to see that because, you know, I've been walking with Jesus for a really long time. I've had a lot of friends. I've been in a lot of Bible studies. I've been in a lot of women's ministries and seen a lot of unequally yoked marriages and seen the toll that that takes. And it's easy, I think, as believers to put all of this, oh, poor Christian wife or husband and your spouse doesn't know Jesus and that must be so hard for you. But rarely do we really attend to or are willing to pay attention to what is it like for the the spouse and what does it look like to love them well where they're at and Mm -hmm. I love the fact that a like we mentioned earlier God was taking care of your husband that wasn't your job Mm -hmm. um and he was doing that by sending wisdom and and people in your life to speak truth and love and wisdom he was doing that by sending men in your life brian to speak truth and love and to love you where you were at Mm -hmm. and then um i just love the that picture i i I don't know if i'm even articulating it well but i think Mm -hmm. there's something really beautiful and profound about the significance of marriage and that partnership the significance of what that looks like when it's out of whack Mm -hmm. spiritually yeah and if we can have the patience and the love and the long suffering to to stand and wait mm-hmm. and trust um, what God can do in that. Yeah, I think that's that's great, Gina. And I I think uh, to build on that even maybe a tiny bit more, when the analogy of the equally yoked uh, processes is is. is given as painful as it is for in in our perspective now the the christian whether it's the man or woman you know that yoke that the oxen wear it pinches both directions yeah and so oftentimes Mm -hmm. we need to remember and that's a a counseling point that we talk about you know it's a little uncomfortable but sometimes we ask people do you think it's possible to volunteer at church too much yeah. And oftentimes the answer they'll give us is no. Yeah. And we, we have to say, well, maybe it is. And, and mm-hmm. le- yeah. let us help explain to you how that can be. We're not trying to disrespect God. We're not trying mm-hmm. to tell you that God's not important. Mm-hmm. We're trying to tell you that this yoke is, is pinching you, but mm-hmm. it's pinching him or her as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. You know, because that yoke, mm-hmm. it's just a solid piece of wood in the analogy. Yeah. Yeah, and in an unequally yoked marriage, the the Christian has to be really careful, too, about um, making certain that they are humble, Mm -hmm. um, because you tend to um, accept Christ, and for whatever reason, your humanness kind of takes over, and you're like, I'm right, this is the way it is. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you're not following this, but you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. And and mm-hmm. I think that um you know, you had a good point where, you know, God sends people into our lives. Two men were talking to Brian, which was it turned a corner for him. It, it helped him to kind of understand and and it was not me who was going to teach Brian and that was I was very I knew that very clearly that it wasn't going to be me. Um, but also something that changed during that time was my prayer life because, <clears throat> you know, we tend to pray to make ourselves comfortable. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like, Lord, please make Brian a Christian. Lord, please make him <laughs> want to read the Bible. Lord, please make him want to go to church. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that same Titus woman, I think she was probably an angel because she hit me at the perfect times but also, I was at the point where I was ready to listen to it. Hmm. Because we yeah. talked to a lot of unequally yoked marriages. And there there seems to be a sense of almost sassiness. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, well, it's too bad that he's not doing it. But, you know, he's supposed to be the leader of my home. And he's yeah. not. So here I go. You know, and you hear yeah. this, like, you just hear this attitude. And it's yeah. like... <clears throat> I was really blessed to be around women who also really loved their husbands. Yes, their husbands were Christians and they were leaders, but they were still 
very respectful. Mm-hmm. And so that same Titus woman, you know, I can remember one day just breaking down with her and saying, like, this is all, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to live this life. I don't know how to raise my kids like this when my husband has no interest in it. <clears throat> I don't know uh, what my next direction is. And and she was so sweet because she would talk about this faith prayer. Like, let me walk you through this faith prayer. Like, a faith prayer is hop over your circumstances right now and start thanking God for how he's already worked out your situation. Yeah. And I'm like, so good. you know, so I, I worked with her a lot. And so, you know, she said, come back next week and tell me your impossible dream. And so I came back next week and I said, the, the, the furthest thing from what could happen right now, I think, would be, Lord, please make Brian a pastor. You know, because he's, <laughs> I just felt like he was so far from, you know, from that. And so she said, great, that's your faith prayer. Like you hop over what's happening right now and you start thanking God right now for him being a pastor. And I said, you are wackadoodle. Like this cannot happen. I, I didn't. I was a new Christian, so I didn't have a whole lot of rear view mirror stuff to look back on and yeah. say, oh, yeah, God got me through that with that. You know, God got me through that one. I didn't have a lot of that. So I really had to go on being humble and being faithful and and just um, being obedient, really, to, yeah. to what God calls us to do. And it's really lay everything in his hands. <laughs> yeah. And so once I started letting go of that, um, things started moving and it wasn't quick, but I kept being a good listener during that time. Yeah. So yeah, I, and I don't want you to take anything away from yourself either, Linda, because while all of that's true, um, part of what changed in that day when you agreed to not go to church is you began to be the wife, in my eyes at least, that any man would want to be married to. Mm. And so where there was some sassiness and there was some... Well, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, and you know, you're not here most of the time anyway. So, that that began to change, where I began to see you putting me and my needs and desires ahead of your own, which actually made you Christ-like. Now, in hindsight, I wasn't understanding <clears throat> yeah. what was happening, but the church became less of a threat. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's good. Thank you. Excuse us, Gina. We'd now like to kiss, please. (laughs) Get a room. Just kidding. So, okay, so now (laughs) that was a turning point Mm -hmm. that weekend. And you are meeting with this group now that is accepting Mm -hmm. you where you're at, accepting your jerky questions and your good questions, your snarky responses and your sure. good responses. So then what? Then I think for me at least I think it was just kind of a s- slow evolution. It was yeah. it was talking to people, it was understanding uh again, I was not a non-believer. Yeah. Um but it was trying to understand what belief meant. Yeah. and why it meant that. And yeah. you know, when you for, at least for me, I you know, um be the first to say I have a pride problem. Um, I'm I'm comfortable in my own skin. Some ways, sometimes in ways I shouldn't be, and I just felt like I kind of got it, like I knew it. Like how yeah. hard can this be? And so there was a lot of my own reading, and there was a lot of going to people that, for whatever reason, I had respect for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that helped me. And there were, you know, some books that were hugely impactful in my life. There were some people that were hugely mm-hmm. impactful in my life. And then there was patience. Yeah. And I just needed patience. <clears throat> I, for me, you know, belief always existed. However, the significance of that didn't hit until years later. Yeah. And so I always talk about, you know, Linda was a light switch on off. Mm-hmm. For me, mm-hmm. it was a dimmer switch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's was, really good. That's a really good analogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just needed that slow, steady, loving pressure to make the light burn brighter and brighter and brighter. Yeah, and I think that the more you learn about yourself before Christ, like how he individually made you, you can then recognize that um, being different is good and that you're you each have your own journey yeah. in Christ. And so 
For me, I might be a visual learner and a feeling learner and a tactile learner. Like I, you know, want to go out in the woods and read the Bible or I want to, you know, um, have pictures of uh, Bible verses. I'll read a Bible verse and I can imagine it in my head. He is not that kind of learner at all. So all the stuff that I was trying to give him, like, oh, listen to this message. Oh, read this book. He was like, not getting it doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. He's a complete intellectual learner and so once he once he found his authors and style, mm-hmm. then he, he could kind of take it on his own. Um I think that was Yeah. Something. And once you stop trying to control his process, mm-hmm. then he could Yeah, and I mean, I think something else we didn't recognize it then, but now when we meet with police couples, <laughs> we recognize that the authority figure um it's really hard for officers to hand their life over to another authority, as in God, because wow. you're kind of taught to be your own authority. And, and Brian can speak to this better than I can, but, but we came to a kind of a light bulb moment where it was like, wow, that's, that's hard for you because the academy training teaches you, like, you're the one in control. You're the yeah, one that's going home today. So maybe you can speak to that a little bit about how hard or difficult, you know. Yeah, from week one, exactly. You're you're taught to, you know, you assess the scene, you have about half a second, you make a decision on what you're seeing, and then you take control. Mm -hmm. And when you take control, um, you do it firmly, quickly, and you don't relinquish it until you leave. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons I think uh, police marriages suffer so much Hmm. is because I think, you know, uh, people enter into this union uh, having a vision of what that's going to look like. And uh, it, the vision doesn't often match reality, yeah. especially as officers get more and more seasoned in their careers because they take more control, they have more yeah. success. And so suddenly they've got this, this endless OODA loop or this, this cycle that takes them through something that is successful everywhere except in their house. Wow. And they come and they try to dominate and control their wife. They dominate and control their children. And suddenly that starts to go sideways. And, and they it's like, why is this not working here? It works everywhere else. Wow. But yeah, it's funny when you're, you know, when you're at a, a 30,000 foot level and you're looking at others that are, you think are to maybe at a 10,000 foot level and you're thinking, oh man, you can't, you can't say that to her. Yeah. I mean, you can, <laughs> but it's not going to go well. Right, right. right. There's, you know. <laughs> I can predict this is going to be bad. Yeah, and I'm not clairvoyant. I, yeah. I don't. I don't see into the future very well. But that's going to that's going to not work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just talk a little bit about um, about mentoring couples mm-hmm. and your passion for marriage and kind of where that came from and what what is that in you that is? Yeah. You know, definitely being refined in different areas in our marriage did kind of propel us into wanting to care for marriages because not that we have all the answers, but we've been through a lot. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things don't surprise us. It really started with us lay counseling at Saddleback Church. Having a couple in front of me as an individual lay counselor and that gentleman ha- happened to be a police officer. And so although I was using the same uh, scripts and the same tactics and the same tools that we had learned through our you know, counseling class, it was literally just bouncing off of him. Like I could tell there was just a complete wall up um, with him. And so when you lay counsel there, you get supervised once a week. So I went to my supervisor and I said, hey, next week, do you think I could bring Brian in? He was already... Uh, counseling men and they said yeah it's a it's a great idea like you're counseling police officer he's a police officer I think there might be a good match yeah and so the next week I brought Brian in and it was just like magic happened in front of us wow like wheels began to turn um things began to make sense um he was able to speak his language and it was just like, it just happened all in front of my eyes. And from that point forward, I thought, we have a good thing going. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we can talk to marriage as well. Like, we have a, a really great way of building rapport with this couple. 
And they actually ended up doing very well at the end of our sessions. We probably saw them another five to eight times and worked through some really tough stuff. And then there were moments where Brian would have to bring him uh, into another room and they would have a session by themselves for like 20 minutes and I would meet with the woman for 20 minutes and and then we would all come back together. And that also gave us the idea that a lot of men just don't have other men to talk to. Uh, men don't have men to mentor them. Men don't have men to help these guys lead marriages, which is what the wife really wants. Yeah. But the disconnect is in the that leadership component can't take place out of nothing. Right. <laughs> we have to teach that leadership component right. and that leadership component is best taught to a man by a man. Yeah. It just is the way it is. Um and so that worked out so beautifully that we started doing counseling marriages together. Yeah, the 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 men counseling men thing I think is interesting. We need a ball to be able to talk with any depth. And yeah. even then, somebody drops the ball, and the whole subject changes. Yeah. Or, you know, the women I've seen in my life can sit down over a cup of coffee or a tea and really go crazy places that men would take years to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we'll grab a football or a golf ball or a fishing pole, and then you can start to have some of that conversation, which is really how I experience relationship in my non-professional life. Uh, at the same time, I had been introduced to a form of police psychology by a psychologist, Larry Blum, mm -hmm. uh, who's a dear friend. And uh, at first I was a little skeptical, and as I, as I got to see how it worked, I was, I was kind of blown away. And what it is, is is our police department had a team of officers, and I was fortunate to be a part of that team, that any time an officer had something traumatic, a shooting, a baby pass away in his or her arms, that the team would get called in and we would help that officer deal with their post-traumatic stress or the potential of them developing post-traumatic stress. Mm. And it was uh, just kind of a life-changing and eye-opening experience that got me to the point where I really began to value certain aspects of the psychological sciences. Yeah. So I had done that forever in Linda when she... <clears throat> You know, I was working nights again, and to fill her time, she was taking some counseling classes mm -hmm. at church. Mm -hmm. And she would come back, and when we talked, she'd say, I think you would really like this. This mm -hmm. is what I learned tonight, and you should see this. And she had a book, mm -hmm. and I looked through the book, and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is right in my wheelhouse. I yeah. would love this. So when I got off nights, I then took the class, mm -hmm. and um, then we started counseling. And I loved it. And I loved. The, I also loved the difference between secular counseling and Christian counseling. Yeah, and I think there's value in both. Although I personally have a much higher value for Christian counseling, because secular counseling often asks you, "How does that make you feel?" Mm -hmm. And Christian counseling says, "Well, it's interesting you feel that way, but what does the Bible say about what you're doing, or mm -hmm. how you're feeling, or what right. your reaction is?" Right. And I think the Bible, mm -hmm. for me at least, it just gives a a, a, a clearer and and more precise worldview on how we should be behaving and treating each other. Yeah. And when I was going through the classes, and then especially when Lynn and I began to counsel each other, mm -hmm. I began to see some of the chinks in my own armor. Because hmm. here I am counseling a couple, and I'm saying, bro, you can't say that to your wife and expect that to work. I mean, <laughs> come on. Realizing as I'm saying that, that, gosh, I had said the same thing to my wife two weeks prior. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, I began to verbalize things mm -hmm. in a way that I was hearing them and realizing that I can be a better husband. I can mm -hmm. be a better father. I can be a better everything. I can yeah. be a better friend, a better son, a better everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so That's going good. through that counseling and then putting, you know, putting skin on it or, or, or actually using the exercises and giving people advice made me want to be the person that I was counseling from. Yeah. Meaning because the, the people looked at Linda and I like we had it all together. Right. Well, well, yeah, you guys have it easy. I mean, you're married to Mr. Wonderful and you're married to Mrs. Wonderful. Well, yeah. it wasn't true because we would go home and fight and we would go home yeah. and have those mm -hmm. rough moments like all couples do. Mm -hmm. And so I think what counseling in that environment taught us to do was argue better because yeah. we still disagree. Mm -hmm. You know, we have something going on in our lives right now, or mostly it's, it's my life, where somebody 
who I love tremendously, um, has essentially told me that love is not enough, that they need me to approve of everything they're doing and uh, the choices that they're making and also the way that they're living. Hmm. And I think, wow, that's, I don't approve of everything my wife does. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, but that's, we talk about those things and we dialogue about them and we, we work hard to make each other better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, even though I don't approve of what Linda's doing, we talk about it and we come to a resolution yeah. and we're a better couple and a stronger couple because of it. Right. And to, to, to demand that, well, no, you have to think exactly the way I think and you have to approve of everything I do. That's not a relationship. No. And that's not spiritual leadership either. No, no. Right. Which I think is a, a big thing in Christian marriages is the, mm-hmm. the, the... The submission model is way messed up. Yeah, the submission model <laughs> and, and and the the distorted definition of mm. what spiritual leadership in the home means. Right? Absolutely. The, the, head of the, the head of the household is. Right. I mean, fast forward um, where we met you... Gina, um, at that church, we, uh, because our kids were there, we reluctantly left, um, Saddleback cause we loved our, our lay counseling ministry that we were doing there, but quickly met the psychologist on staff at the new church. And she, um, was familiar with the training that we had undergone at, at Saddleback. And so we, uh, began to counsel, um, marriages under her tutelage and with her prescribed um, curriculum and it became a class and and we started to run that class kind of like how we were comfortable meeting with marriages so we started out together and then we separated the men and the women because we felt like that model was really working out fantastically and then we bring them back together again and and so through that we kind of had to have our own way to talk about the submission model because we found that a lot of the counseling that we did and a lot of the couples that we met with um that maybe was their primary problem yeah and um you would get rigid responses from both the man and the woman because they were at a stalemate and they didn't know how to make sense of it yeah and the woman had stopped doing everything because well he wasn't leading Right. And he had stopped doing everything because he said, well, she's always gone at church, so why should I, she doesn't even want to be home, why Why should I do anything? And so, like, we, Brian and I had to really talk about how are we going to define this right. for these couples so that we can make some breakthroughs and so that it is biblically based, but it also makes sense to them and it can it can get them to the next step, like make yeah. a breakthrough, break the chain. And you have a really good way of kind of describing that to couples. But yeah, so what we talk about, and, and again, it's trying to it's trying to put things in language that people understand. Yeah. And, and so what, what we talk about in the submission model is that, you know, obviously um, we are the bride of Christ and we're supposed to treat our spouse as men the way Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do for the church? He died for the church. And so we're supposed to put the other first. And so the way we we visualize that for people in simple terms is if you and your wife are in disagreement, that's okay. So have that discussion. Do it politely. Do it um, respectfully. respectfully. But at the end of the night, you know, we're not supposed to go to bed in anger if we can avoid that. But at the end of the night, somebody has to make a decision so that there can be peace in the home. And so, husband, I'm asking you make the decision. But the decision I'm asking you to make is the one that benefits your wife. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, because that's what we're called to do. We're called mm-hmm. to be sacrificial. Yeah. And so that's a difficult thing for a lot of couples to do. Right. Yeah. We get a lot of raised eyebrows during that time. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that these couples believe that it should be much more strict than that. Yeah. It should be much more rigid than that. It, that's not exactly the way it should be. It can't be that easy. And it actually, when it is that easy, it starts this really cool snowball, you know, yeah. effect that runs down the hill and it, it, it picks up speed and it, the wife then wants to respect her husband even more. And the husband then wants to love his wife in, you know, different ways. And it just, it just creates this continual 
really cool flow in the marriage. And, um, I think that's what, I think that's what we're called to do. And I mean, we, we love meeting with couples. That's just one example of where we've seen, um, light bulbs turn on within couples. And I don't know, I I feel like we've been equipped through our struggles and our pain and our just even raising kids and getting through finances and getting through illnesses that we've, um, been able to really identify with a lot of these couples and walk them through to, um, a beautiful new understanding of each other. That's cool. Mm. Yeah. It's been amazing. (laughs) We've seen some, that's another way to see miracles. Yeah. So there's the miracle of healing and there's the miracle of healing. Yeah. Some of those are physical and some of those are emotional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Happy to be here. Yeah. Our pleasure. My pleasure. Wow, there was a lot in that episode. And I can imagine that a lot of things were stirred up. If you are in a marriage that's unequally yoked, or if you're in a marriage that's struggling right now and wrestling through pain and hurt and distance. I just want to encourage you if there were things that triggered you during this episode to not recoil and get offended and let bitterness and resentment and frustration settle in, but to stop, to go before the Lord, to say, Jesus, Show me, speak to me. What is it that you are trying to say? And let him speak to you. He never brings shame or condemnation or accusation. He brings an invitation for healing, for restoration, and for hope. Thank you for joining us. If you want more information about Brian and Linda Seitz and their ministry, you can visit them at peaksandvalleys.life. If you want more information about the Sacred Space podcast and Stockton Ministries, you can visit us at inthesacredspace.com or gina at ginastockton.com. And if you would be so kind as to take a moment and rate and review us on iTunes, that would be amazing because that would help more people discover the Sacred Space. Thank you so much. Have a great week.